in standing for the reading of God's Word on which the sermon today is based. We're going to read from John chapter 5, 1 to 18. John 5, 1 to 18. After this, there, were, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep of Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which have five uh, roof colonnades, and in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been in, an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another step, and while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, and nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you've been with us for a few weeks, even a few months, you know we're doing a series on the Gospel of John entitled, Come and See Jesus. Come and see Jesus as he revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. Jesus, as we have seen in the past few months, Jesus is the reason for living. He is the light of the world. He's the Lamb of God. He's the true temple. And today we're going to see Him as the Lord of the Sabbath. John 5, through to 7, marks an important shift on the opposition towards Jesus from the religious leaders. If previously we saw the reservation, the hesitation about Jesus as Messiah, from John 5 onwards, as you will see in the next few weeks, John 5, John 6, and 7, we'll see how the religious leaders escalated their opposition, and now it became an outright rejection. But today we're going to see another healing miracle that Jesus did on this paralyzed man that took place in the ancient pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy in the northeast of Jerusalem. So friends, we have seen two miracles so far that Jesus recorded, uh, Jesus did and recorded by John. And those two miracles were somewhat private. 
in nature. Because when, remember when he transformed water into wine, only the servants knew. And when he healed the official son, as we saw last Sunday, only the family of the official knew about what happened. But in John 5, in that pool of Bethesda, the miracle took place in a public setting. And not only it was public, it was performed on the Sabbath day, and therefore it created this opposition from the religious leaders. So this is the point where the persecution against Jesus took a whole new level. It was now outright, official, and intense. So let, let's uh, have a look at this story more in depth under three headings. First, we see the sovereign love of Jesus. This story tells us about the sovereign love of Jesus. Let's look at verse 3 onwards. In, in one of those feasts, and we're not sure whether it's um, Passover, which perhaps makes sense, because that would make uh, Jesus' ministry on earth for three and a half years. But we, we uh, do not know that for sure, and the apostle John chose not to tell us what kind of feast uh, this one is, that Jesus um, seeing himself going up to Jerusalem. Because the importance of this story is not that Jesus observed the tradition, but he wanted to show something, i.e. the sovereign love uh, that he showed towards this uh, paralyzed man. Now Jesus saw him lying there, and then he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And then he asked this question, do you want to be healed? Now, Francis has been there for 38 years in a physically paralyzed condition. You can imagine him lying there in despair. And there was a tradition, if you notice when we did the reading, first four was missing for, in, in a lot of uh, Bible verses, you know, ESV and IV and so on. But if you read King James, there was a, uh, another verse, verse four, right? There's a long story there, so come to me if you're interested why verse four is missing. But uh, verse four actually uh, is the, the verse that makes sense of first uh, seven. Here is what uh, is missing in verse four. There was a tradition Right, that the angel would come down and stir the water. And when the water is troubled, when the water is ruffled, then the only person, the first person who goes into the pool will be healed. Now, whether that's superstition, whether that's, uh, you know, there's a scientific evidence behind it, or whether that's uh, uh, the hand of God, we're not sure. But that's uh, the tradition. And, and, and therefore, what's important for us is looking at this man who kept going there, year in, year out, hoping that he would be the first person to go into the pool. But because he was paralyzed, and he has no close friend who could carry him into the pool, he never became that first person to go into the pool. But he had this deep desire for healing, and that's why he kept staying there. And he's not the only person, obviously. There were lots of people who are disabled, who are paralyzed, who are invalids. So what this man um, 
experience is what the modern psychologists would call learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is a condition where people have learned to be helpless over time. They think that whatever I did, it doesn't matter. Nothing I do would matter, would actually help. Now Jesus saw this helpless individual sitting there, paralyzed and without friends. So he asked this penetrating question, this very personal question, do you want to be healed? Now far from us, from thinking that, that this is a stupid question. Would you ask people who have been uh, disabled for so many years, do you want to be healed? It's almost like a rude question to ask, right? But Jesus never uh, said things in vain. So when he asked, do you want to be healed? Not that he doesn't know the answer, not that he doesn't know what is in the minds of this uh, man, but he actually wants the man to think about what he's going to answer. And you know, after 38 years, asking, do you want to be healed? Perhaps the answer is yes, perhaps the answer is no, and this man has to decide. So Jesus uh, asked this question not to depress him, not to taunt him. He asked this question so that he could bring new life to those limbs that have laid dormant for many, many years. Friends, 38 years is a long time. Think about it, today is 2023. That means 38 years ago is 1985. What were you doing in 1985? Some of you were not even born yet in 1985. Look at, uh, many of you are so young, you, you're still um, being planned, right? Uh, but you're not around yet. I was in my um, elementary school already, uh, playing balls and you know, um, making funs of my friends and so on. That's like nearly half a lifetime. That was a long time to be paralyzed. So the man must have been so used to this sort of things, receiving aids, you know, assistance, supports from various people. Maybe he didn't want to be healed because if he's well, that means he has to work rather than relying on people to support him. And now he did not have any work, he did not have any significant responsibility. Maybe he's so used, he learned to be helpless. So he's in this state of inertia, apathy, despair, helpless. He no longer expected that he could change his condition. So it would be understandable if he was so preoccupied with that state of mind. And John was very careful to tell us that there were lots of other people there. There was a multitude of invalids, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people. Jesus, look at Jesus, how he came personally to this man and have a one-on-one -on -one chat with him. Not, not because this man was a member of a, the synagogue, but because Jesus took pity. He was going to show his compassionate grace to this man. So Jesus picked him out from among many other invalids. The sovereign initiative was completely Jesus. No reason was given for his choice. It was his sovereign grace that 
brought Jesus to the pool of Bethesda. He did not heal all the invalids. He singled out this one man. And the fact that Jesus came to this man, spoke to him, healed him, and then met him again later in the temple, all of those are proof of his sovereign grace to this man. Friends, just as he wanted to have one-on-one relationship with this man, he wanted to have a one-on-one relationship with you spiritually. See, the great thing about being a Christian is that we can have a one-on-one relationship with the sovereign Lord of the entire universe. And once you get to know him, you can have that personal relationship with Christ and it begins here on earth and will last through eternity in the next life. See, this man was physically so weak, he had to be asked if he wanted to be healed. Now, perhaps spiritually, on a spiritual level, we, we too, we are in this room sitting down now, we perhaps need to be asked again, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be changed? Maybe some of you have been wallowing in hopelessness. You know, I I couldn't be uh, a better Christian or even I could not make that step to be a Christian because that means I have to change a lot of things in my life, my habits, the way I'm thinking about science, the way I'm thinking about wealth, the way I'm thinking about my job. I don't know if I can follow Christ. Now, Jesus asks you seriously the same serious uh, level that he showed to this man. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to be the kind of Christian that God created you to be? Are you willing to believe? Or would you say, no, I just want to stay in my weakness. I just want to stay where I am now because this is kind of my comfort zone. I hope you do want to change. Many people do not want to be Christians even though all their intellectual questions or their doubts had been answered. In this church, we have um, classes for membership where all your basic questions, primary and foundational questions about the Christian faith will be answered. But guess what? I've met people who even all their doubts have been answered, they still do not want to become a Christian. They say, I just can't do it. Because deep down, they do not want to change. So friends, what is, is there something that you currently have in your life and it's been there for years and years and years and it makes you feel stuck You couldn't grow, you couldn't make that next step to be a better Christian or to be a Christian for the first time. See, spiritual change comes after our willingness to change, or more precisely, our willingness to be willing to be changed by Jesus, not the other way around. See, this man answered in verse 7, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up, 
and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Now, you would think that this man would answer with enthusiasm, yes, yes, Lord, I want to be healed. That's not what he said. John Calvin wrote about this man, this sick man does what we always do, limiting God's help to what he conceives in his mind. He had been in that sad condition for so long that his will was as paralyzed as his body. So Jesus came up and said, do you want to be well? And he said, yes, of course, but I would appreciate some assistance to be brought into the water because you see, that's the problem. This man is essentially saying, I'd be more happy to partner with you. You know, if only you can carry me into this water. He's not looking to Jesus and said, oh, you are my salvation. You are my healer. No, he said, please help me to get healing. Please help me to get my salvation. And all of us, we like that man in the beginning, right? You come to Christ because something goes wrong in your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your relationship with your Wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, parents. Or maybe your ministry is in a bad shape and you ask Jesus to help you to get back into that pool and that pool being your career, your relationship, your ministry because those are the sources of your significance, your salvation, your joy, your happiness. And you think, if I could succeed in my career, I feel I'm something. I will have a secure sense of self. If I thrive in my relationship, that's what makes me truly happy. If my ministry is growing and fruitful, that makes me feel important. So we use Jesus only as a means to an end. We use Jesus to our joy through relationship. Instead of making Jesus himself our joy, we use Jesus as an instrument to our security through career instead of Jesus himself as our security. But friends, what a wonderful story that regardless of this man's answer, and Jesus knew what he was going to answer, he still showed his sovereign grace to this man. The second point, not only Jesus showed his sovereign grace, but he also showed he had an absolute authority on sickness, on the body of this man. Jesus said to him, first aid, get up, take up your bed, and walk. So that's the answer of Jesus when he said, look, Jesus, you can uh, help me carrying me into the pool. You know what? Jesus completely ignored the pool. Jesus completely ignored the fact that the pool, the water in it might have some healing properties. He basically said to this man, no, I'm not taking you into the water. I am the water. And that's why Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed. And what he commanded the man to do the very thing he was unable to do, but in his command, was the power. And at once, you see, it's not gradually, but immediately, instantly, he was cured and he picked up his mat 
Don't imagine it's a heavy mattress, king coil, and so on. It's, it's a mat. It's a bamboo mat, which he then lifted, perhaps threw in the air, and then he was jumping and leaping, but not praising the Lord. He walked away. So Jesus showed his absolute authority over sickness and over his physical body. And unlike modern healing, Jesus' healing were complete and instantaneous with or without faith. Now here is what you have to understand. It's the word of Jesus that give him the strength and the healing and the power as well to obey. There's no strength in the water, in the pool, or in this building, or in, in the religion, including in all the rituals that we as Christians do. There's no strength in any outward form of religion, even in the size of our faith. Now, this only proves uh, one point, and you may have missed that very important point. The man did not show any faith at all. This is why this story is so precious that we have in the Gospel of John, because unlike other healing stories, healing miracles that Jesus did, this one is unique in that there is no mention of faith on the part of the man. In fact, he did not really care about believing, worshiping Jesus. Jesus' word of command to the invalid was like the creative word of God. There was nothing, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be healing, there was healing, despite there was no faith. Can you imagine, friend, what actually happened? The paralyzed limbs started to move. The muscles suddenly became alive and renewed, and the miracle occurred. He could get up, took his mat, the first time in 38 years. But sadly, there was something tragic that took place, and we know this in verse 10, where it says, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. So you would imagine all the Jewish leaders would know this person, right? Because he's been uh, lying there for 38 years, so everyone knew about him. Now, you would think that naturally these Jewish leaders would be praising the Lord, if they knew their scripture, they would read that the Messiah would come and heal the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. But instead of saying, praise God, that this man had been healed miraculously, they said, it is Sabbath, and you violated this holy day. A better translation should have said, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. You are violating the Sabbath. So they are judging this man who had been healed. And you know, friends, uh, there were many occurrences in the gospel, on the, in the four gospels actually, where Jesus' activity on Sabbath became the focus of controversy with the religious leaders. In fact, they feature prominently in the rising desire 
of the Jewish leaders to kill Jesus. And this is what I love about Jesus. He had this courage to confront the religious leaders. You see, there was no emergency with this uh, paralyzed man. Could Jesus heal him the next day after the Sabbath? Obviously, he could, right? He did not have to heal this person on Sabbath, but he intentionally did that on Sabbath because he wanted to confront the superficial and bankrupt Jewish legalism. The man's condition was not life-threatening. He was constantly at the pool, so Jesus could have waited another day, but nope, he did it on the Sabbath because he wanted to call the whole nation to repentance and to confront the self-righteous religious system of the Pharisees. Did Jesus violate the Sabbath? No, because the Old Testament really only mentioned that on Sabbath, just like God rested on the seventh day, so you have to rest, physically resting from your customary work, your usual employment, right? But this man picking up their bed and walk, that's not his employment, so that's completely different. But the Mishnah, the Jewish and the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they added these 39 types of works that the Jewish people should not do on Sabbath. So this is their additional interpretation of God's law and they adding 39 types of work that are forbidden on the Sabbath. I have a list of all the 39 um, works, but one of them said you do not take one thing from one domain to another. That's the actual interpretation. And that's why they're focusing on, on that. Instead of rejoicing in this wonderful healing of this man, the religious leaders condemn him for carrying his mat and thereby breaking the law. But obviously this man defended himself and blaming Jesus who told him to do it. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. See, he experienced that absolute authority of Jesus on his sick body, paralyzed body. And yet, this man chose to read Jesus out to the religious leaders, as we will see in the next part of the story, and the last part of the story, and which takes us to the last point not only Jesus showed his sovereign grace, his absolute authority, but also the redemptive purpose through this healing miracle. Verse 14 said, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. So Jesus uh, dug the authority. He went away because he knew if, if, if everyone in that, around that pool knew that he just healed this man, can you imagine what the other invalids would do? Right, so he just stuck and, 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 and left. And then he found this man again, and he exactly knew where to find this man, obviously. And he said, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So apparently, 
for, from this word, we know that this man's physical condition was uh, the result of his sins. But I have to highlight and emphasize to you today that not all sickness are due to sin. It doesn't mean that you ha- if you are catching cold, that means you do something terrible to God and to others. And that's why you're catching cold and you got COVID and so on. It doesn't work like that. But in this particular case, this man's condition may have been the result of his sins. And that's why Jesus said, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What's the lesson for us? The lesson is it is possible to experience a miraculous thing in your life and still not be safe and go to heaven. It is possible to have this experience being healed by Christ and yet you did not have any saving faith. So Jesus' whole point is that I didn't just want to help you in the body, I want you to believe. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to be spiritually healed, not just physically healed. But we have no clue that this man actually responded like Jesus expected. And that was a contrast to the man born blind in John 9, which God willing, we will look at uh, the story in November. See, friends, it was quite amusing that this man, after 38 years, almost for decades of terrible distress, he received healing from Jesus. But then he showed his loyalty to the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus. This is one of the greatest acts of ingratitude, one of the greatest acts of unbelief in the scripture. But you know, Jesus was saying to us, the reason why he healed this paralyzed man for 38 years, he is showing to us that he's coming to this world because this world is riddled with sickness And he's saying to us, in the new world that I'm bringing, in my kingdom, I'm going to make sure there is no sickness. That's the redemptive purpose. And that's why Jesus not only wanted this man to be healed, he wanted this man to be spiritually healed because in this new world that I'm creating, there'll be no sickness. And this is just a foretaste of that world to come. And this man, therefore, has to be a believer to respond to Christ in faith and repentance to be able to be in that new creation, new world with Christ, enjoying the no sickness condition. No cancer, no Alzheimer, whatever disease that is currently troubling you or your family members, None of those things will take place in God's new heavens and new earth. So friends, I want you to respond this morning to Jesus. And I want you to think deep and long in your heart. Have you been in that spiritual 
problem in your life that makes you stuck for so many years. You're not growing. You're not going anywhere. And Jesus wants to give you His sovereign grace. He wants to show you His absolute authority to heal you. Would you want to respond to Him? Let us pray. Father, we.